Um, Let us pray together. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, um, as she was opening our service for us, Sarah has reminded us that um, we're easily uh, shaped, easily led. There are many influences on us. Our culture um, has more influence on us than we uh, know or care to admit. But Lord, we, we're your people. You've rescued us from death. You've brought us into life in Jesus. And we want to be influenced by you. So, Lord, be with us this morning as we spend a few moments thinking on your words, some things that you have said to us. Help us to hear them. And, Lord, we pray that they would change us. Amen. Folks, this uh, Genesis series got off to such a lovely start. I really enjoyed the first three weeks where we talked about about God, about creation, about what it means to be a human being. It was, it was lovely stuff to be thinking about. But if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know uh, that it's gone a little bit pear-shaped uh, over the last couple of weeks, this story as we followed it in Genesis. A couple of weeks ago, we were reading Genesis 3, uh, the story of what we now call the fall, uh, when human beings uh, turned their back uh, on God. Last week, we traced the escalation of human sin in Genesis 4 in that story of Cain and Abel and a little bit of stuff about uh, Cain's descendants. If we just fired on, if we read on today, um, we had come to another story, the story of Noah. Then we come to another story, the story of Babel. They're both stories about escalating downward spiraling sin. I don't know, there's part of me that just didn't have the heart for four of those in a row. Um, Didn't want us all to be depressed. Um, So I I always wondered whether I might break up our series and do the kind of thing that that we're going to do today. And and, and here we are. I want to ask you today a question, and it's a crucial question for any uh, human being who wants to live their life well. The question is this. Why am I here? Okay. By the way, there's two ways of understanding that question. It's not, the first one is, why am I in Kirkpatrick at 25 past 11? And that's something to do with, it's my habit to come here. My mom made me, or something more profound. I'm expecting to meet with the living God. That, that's, you understand, that's one way of thinking of that question. That's not what I'm talking about. The way I'm thinking of the question is the the more profound way. What's my purpose? Why uh, am I on this earth? What am I here to do? That's an important question, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it before or not, but I'm going to give you some time now to think about it. I'm just going to stop talking for a while. That means you have to think. It's going to be uncomfortable if you're not used to that, but that's okay. Why are you here? Take a moment to formulate an answer to that question.
It's a pretty big question and uh, quite a personal one, so I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand and volunteer an answer. Kind of an important question, though, isn't it? You know, what's the point of it all? What, what, what am I doing here? We're going to take just a few minutes this morning to look at the Bible's answer to those questions, that question. I'm going to try to say that they're found already in these early chapters of Genesis that we've already looked at. So we're not going forward in Genesis, but just sticking on the chapters that we've already looked at. I'm going to suggest two answers. I I don't know. I'm not 100% sure if the two answers are actually just the same answer. Um, but I'll offer them as, as two for now. We're here for two reasons. One, to be with God, and secondly, to be like God. That's what I think God's Word says in answer to these questions, this question. I'd better come clean for a second. I had planned to talk only about one of those things until probably a couple of weeks ago, because I thought and was running with the idea in my head, what I wanted to share with you was that God makes us to be like him. And I I think that's true, and I I am going to talk about that. But I've been challenged and refocused a little bit as I've been reading these Genesis narratives the last few weeks, drawn back to something that I I maybe hadn't been paying enough attention to, um, and that is this first truth that we're made to be with God. God made us to be his companions, to be his friends. Where am I getting that from? Well, Genesis, if you have it open there before you, I will point out a few passages, but I'm not really preaching a passage today. Genesis 3, verse 8. I was very struck by this as I was preparing a sermon on the fall, but even in that very troubling chapter. We have this beautiful image. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? The Lord is walking in the garden, and he's looking for Adam and Eve. I grew up in relationships where they were reciprocal and they went something like this. I went to my mate's house, pressed the doorbell and said, is Johnny coming out to play? And Johnny came to my house, pressed the doorbell and asked, is Christoph coming out to play? God walks in the garden and says to Adam and Eve, where are you guys? I want to be with you. God hanging out with human beings. It's astonishing. I really can hardly get my head around that. Last week, uh, as I was talking about Cain and Abel, I was struck by it again, how in chapter 4, after the fall, at a time when I'm imagining that God has nothing at all to do with human beings, There's been all that stuff at the end of chapter 3 about the cherubim, about guarding the garden so they can't be with him. But even then, even when Cain's in a rage, the Lord comes to him and speaks to him. Why are you angry? 
Chapter 4, verse 6. Why are you downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? The Lord's coming to Cain. He approaches him. He he still is trying to keep this this troubled, angry young man from from going further away, from, from going off the rails farther than he already is. This idea that God wants us with him. So if you read on in the text, you'll find Abraham, a man whom God calls to be with him. You'll find Jacob, someone who, who God journeyed with. And we can read in detail about his life. Joseph, I don't know if you know this about Joseph, but probably one of the key theological things that we learn from the life of Joseph is no matter how bad things are, God can be with you. So chapter 39, if you know the story of Joseph, his brother's traffic him into egypt they sell him things are not good when your family do that to you i you know i fought with my brother but we never did that we never sold one another to uh, into foreign lands so there he is and what are we told chapter 39 verse 2 he's in potiphar's household the lord was with joseph stuff happens he ends up in prison at the end of that chapter And here's what we read in the final verse of the chapter. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Even if you don't like that idea that I introduced where I said that God wants to be our friends, if that feels too close or too intimate for you, I think the witness of Scripture challenges us we're told repeatedly about god being with his people only recently i saw this more clearly in the gospels in the interaction of jesus and his disciples so mark chapter 3 mark's telling us there about the moment where jesus chose and called the 12 he says there that jesus appointed 12 designating them to be apostles that they might be with him. Having them with him is very important to Jesus. Anyone who reads stories well knows that you should pay attention to how a story starts and how a story finishes. Well, we've already talked about the start, this picture of um, the garden, this this desire God has to be with his people in these early chapters of Genesis. How does the story end? Well, as he begins to wrap up his revelation in chapter 21, John gives us an image of what God's preparing for us in the future. You maybe know these verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, And he'll live with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Look again at verse 3. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he'll live with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
I think if I handed that in to an English teacher, they'd say, Christoph, find another word to use for, for the word with. You're going a bit over the top there. But this is how the story ends. God with his people. Folks, this is how the story ends because this is the way the story began, because this is what the whole story is all about. It's God with his people. I said a moment ago that I was going to share this morning about this question of why we're here without talking about that. It's making me smile now to think that I was planning to do that, but I was. This is something that I maybe haven't been prioritizing in my own life as much recently as, as I would like. God wants me to be with him. He doesn't just want my service or my work. He wants my friendship. We do a thing together as a bunch of elders once a month where we get together and we talk about, well, talk about the work that we're trying to do here. But one of the things that we've started to do recently is we talk about what God's doing in our lives at the moment. And I had to start this in September. And I found myself talking to my fellow elders about um, not experiencing that sense of intimacy and closeness with God that I have at some times in the past and, and certainly that I would like. And that was, uh, I think that was the start of something for me. So I, I've started to try and move from that position. I thought I'd try to pray more because I haven't been praying very much, truth be told. And as soon as I thought I'll start try to start praying a bit. I just had this niggle, this voice. You know, my mind was so, has become so fragmented. I've become so easily distracted that any time I try to pray, I can't. This voice said to me, Christoph, you, you can't pray anymore. You used to be able to, you used to pray, but you don't, you don't anymore. And you can't. And you know you can't. So don't even try. This will sound very weird to you, but I'll tell you anyway. One day I just decided, well, I know I can't pray very well, but I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to time how long I can pray for and write it down, just so that I know. So it'll be there on a piece of paper to say, on this day I prayed. So I did. Wrote it down. Prayed for four minutes. And then the next day I prayed. I thought, well, I'll write it down again. And I prayed for, I don't know, five or six minutes. And I kept coming back to pray. I kept recording how long I prayed for. I didn't try any harder to pray any longer. That wasn't really the point of the exercise. I just wanted to know that I had prayed. Because... There was somebody in my ear telling me that I never pray. Just recorded it. I took a, a photograph, actually, of the wee sticky. That um, So it turns out I was doing this throughout October. 
You'll notice it wasn't every day. But it was very interesting for me. I discovered that Satan was wrong. I can pray. I can learn to refocus, to come back to be with the Lord. I've been reminded over the last few weeks about a couple of legends of, of prayer. They're guys that I knew about, but because of I'm trying to think this way, they're, they're coming to my mind. Lawrence and, and Frank. Brother Lawrence. I don't know if you've heard of Brother Lawrence. He was a, a, a lay brother in a Carmelite monastery in uh, Paris in the 17th century. doesn't seem to be one of the holy guys around that place. It seems he, he only worked in the kitchen. But he's very famous for for this idea that he had that you could practice the presence of God, that you can be with God even when you're not a monk or when you're not in the chapel during a prayer service. You can be with God all the time. For him, it's when he's dicing the carrots or when he's washing up the dishes. I can be with God. I can practice his presence. I'd known about Brother Lawrence for some time. Frank Laubach had heard of before as well. He's an American uh, of the last century. Quite a complex character in terms of, I tried to work out what, what he was, but he was everything. So he was a, a scholar, an educator, a theologian, a missionary. You know, one of these guys makes you a bit, a bit sick. Great, great guy. He, he wrote a little book or talk, came up with this idea about um, the game with minutes. So he gave himself a challenge. How many minutes of, of each day could I think of God? It's kind of like a modern version of, of Brother Lawrence. And he writes about that a little bit, and he writes about his experiences of that and what that felt with, what that felt like. He, he said an interesting thing. He says he's reflecting on the impossibility to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ in the normal patterns of Western Christendom. Now, he's writing about 50 years ago. So my sense is that things haven't got any better. They may be worse. He says this, We shall not become more like Christ unless we give him more time. To the disciples, he said, Come with me. Walk with me. Talk and listen to me. Work and rest with me. Eat and sleep with me 24 hours a day for three years. This was their college course, he says. He chose them that they might be with him. 168 hours a week. Why are we here? We're here to be with him. To live our lives in communion with him. But how does that work? You're asking. Christoph, you've told us about a 17th century Carmelite. You've told us about an American missionary theologian. You, like, you're a minister. What would you know about being with God in real life? Is this even possible? How can I be with God and live for him when I've got a, a job to do, when I've got children to look after? I've given up hoping that it's possible to live 
the kind of life that I need to live and to please God. I thought the best way to begin to answer that question this morning was to introduce you to a friend of mine. I, I say a friend. I, I don't know this guy. I've only ever met him on a video. Um, his name is Hugo. Uh, the video that I'm going to try and show here now is part of our Reframe series that we've been showing on Sunday evenings. I, as I say, I don't know Hugo, but I've watched this video three times over, and he's really inspired me. Um, so I don't know if we can get that running, Mark. Mark, okay.
there. Thank you. Folks, when I uh, watch this video, it, the, the snippets I've shown you are part of a much longer video, and I remember watching it the first time and just watching it, and then by the end of it thinking, that's very powerful, but I wasn't sure why. So I went back and, and re-listened, and I thought, goodness, I, I recognize these struggles that, that Hugo talks about in, in this, uh, this video. He asks the question, is being a businessman compatible with being a Christian? There seems to be a conflict between being a Christian and serving God on the one hand and using my education, gifts, and passion to be an entrepreneur on the other. I asked God for wisdom. Give me a purpose. What is it you want me to do with who I really am, with the tools you've given me, with how you've made me? There's got to be a reason why I'm here. What is it? Hugo's question is the question that we're trying to answer today. We've, we've already said that we're here to be with God. And I, so I was struck watching that, that he's a, a man who wanted to do that. He, he, went, he went on his walks and he took time to pray. But for the last few moments, we're going to see that as well as to be with God, we are to be like God. Uh, and we've read that passage there, the key passage on this probably in the whole of the Bible, or the one that gets it going. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image. We could do a whole series on what it means to be made in God's image. I, I came across a a thing recently that helped me in a new way, and I thought I'd share it with you this morning. Our, our English word image there comes from the Hebrew word selim. Now, that won't say a whole lot to you, okay? It didn't say a whole lot to me. But it's a translation. Uh, when when it, the Bible was first translated from the Hebrew into the Greek, the translators used the word akon. And that word might mean a little bit more to you. Icon. Let us make man to be our icon. Now, what's an icon? We're mostly Protestants in this room, so we don't make a lot of use of icons in our everyday life. What is an icon? An icon is a picture or an image that you look at that is not supposed to arrest you with itself, but to draw you to something bigger behind itself. So that's, that's how iconography was used, uh, certainly at its best, in religious practice. An icon draws you to the greater reality beyond itself. Well, that's what human beings are. They're icons. They're people who draw the eye of, of a watching world, but then draw them on to a greater reality behind them. That's what we were made to be. Made to be icons, people who draw people to God. And in the fall, we've talked about this, um, the, the image is tarnished, the icon is cracked. But the world has a perfect icon his name is Jesus. Isn't that what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1? He is the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Paul refers to Jesus 
as the icon also in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Let's think for a second again about Jesus and his disciples. Whenever Jesus called his disciples, he called them to be his apprentices, to be people who were like him. Do you see what he's saying to them? He's saying, you can be like me. I am the true icon. I'm the true image of the living God. And if you are with me, if you're learning from me, if my spirit's on you, then more and more you are going to be restored to be the icons you were always intended to be. People who draw, magnets who bring other people to the living God. Staggering, isn't it? This calling that we have. I wonder, are you, you with me? Have you ever understood the Bible that way? Or are you, are you not sure? Well, Paul's teaching bears this out. And so he tells the Romans in chapter 8, verse 29. Make a note of these verses if you want to. I don't have time today to do an in-depth study of them. But here's what he says to the Romans. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. For what? To be conformed to the likeness or, or the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is it Paul says to the Corinthians, chapter 15 of his first letter, verse 49? Just as we've been born in the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness or the icon of the heavenly man. Second letter to Corinth, chapter 3, verse 18. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness, his icon with ever-increasing glory. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image or the icon of its creator. Why are we here? To be icons. To be the image of God. Humanity has fallen. We have lost this incredible birthright. But it's disciples of Jesus Christ who are being renewed in the image of our creator. Let's watch uh, another short video from Hugo. That God is at work in the world. Back in 1990, Hugo Sarah could see how strength relates to his gifting with business, his heart for the war, and his passion for economic heritage. During this time, Hugo went to seven other Christian business people and suddenly realized that God created him with all sorts of gifts and talents, and all of this. Yeah. Excuse me. 
means that it starts from the farmers who get paid the best possible price to get paid for their coffee drive-thru. The trading partners that have to get that coffee out of Africa and ship to us, we don't shop. They, they when I watched this, um, I just found that guy's work so inspiring. And I've come to see why his work is so inspiring, because he's an icon, because he's showing a watching world what God is like. Think about it for a second. You're the guy who grows the coffee in Africa. And most of your working life You've been shafted by people who come and take your coffee beans for as little as they can possibly pay and less. And somebody comes and says, I'll pay you a fair wage. You're the guy who helps transport those all all the way through. And the world says that people who are in transport don't deserve to make a decent living. And some people come along and say, well, we don't believe that. We're going to see if we can pay you a little bit more. Or you're the guys who work in uh, the Victoria place there, the the place where the photographs were taken, the the workplace, and you have a a boss or a team of leaders who, who care about your working conditions and the quality of the life that you live. How would that feel if you were engaging with this guy? You'd be loving it. And what if you discovered then that one of the, or maybe the key reason why this guy chooses to live this way is because of a faith that he has in a God, God revealed in Jesus Christ, the Christian God. Wouldn't you start to be just a little bit intrigued? Wouldn't you find yourself, at least possibly, a little bit open to get to know a little bit more about that God. Hugo is an icon. He he draws people to his God. We talked a couple of weeks ago in the uh, when we were doing the stuff about creation and fall, about the the perfect relationships that God had in creation, the, the place of shalom, perfect relationships in three spheres. 
And we went on to think about how in the fall, those three spheres, the relationships were all damaged. When I see Hugo Ciro, the guy we've just thought about, I see a guy whose relationship with God is being restored and is being energized to such an extent that his relationship with his fellow human beings, that's the red part of the diagram, um, it's it's being revolutionized. It's being changed. It, those relationships are getting healthier and better. I don't know if you picked up on the just the 10 seconds where he talked about environmental. Whatever way we do business, we're not going to we're not going to trash the earth. We're going to be careful about how we do that. Hugo Ciro has chosen, because of what the Lord's doing in him, to, to be with the Lord in the work that God's doing of recreating, renewing, of restoring shalom where it's gone missing. He's an icon living out his human calling, drawing people to God. Folks, I'm not only out of time, I'm, I'm over time, so I, I want to, to finish. Here's a quotation I read recently from Annie Dillard, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. I think it won the Pulitzer Prize back in the 70s sometime. She talks about a moment where she really sensed God speaking to her. And she says this, I had been all my life a bell and never knew it until at that moment I was lifted and struck. All my life, I've had a purpose. To be with God and to be like him. In my case, it's taken me more than 40 years to begin to understand that. But now that I'm getting it, I don't know that I can live the same anymore. Let's pray. Lord, we do wonder why we're here, what we're for. There are a whole load of messages out there and in here which offer answers. And today we've tried to listen to you. We've said, Lord, you made us, now tell us what we're for. And we think this is what you've told us that you want us to be with you and you want us to be like you for a watching world. Lord, I pray that we won't forget that in a hurry. I pray for each one of us in any Dillard moment, a moment where you speak to us and we hear you so clearly that we get it that we understand that our lives have absolutely no meaning outside of you. But they're so much richer and deeper and more beautiful than we ever imagined with you. So Lord, lift us and ring the bell.
Amen. Just now we're going to sing a song. It's um, quite a, a simple song in its, in its aspirations. It's, it's simply, it's called a worker's prayer. It's a recognition of that truth that I think comes out well in the video, that there's a way of following Jesus in everyday life that makes sense, whether we're coffee producers or teachers or lawyers or retired or whatever it is we do with our day-to-day So uh, let's keep our seats as we sing this song and the stewards will lift this morning's offering as we do that. just watched is from the reframe series that we've been showing on Sunday evening. So if you're free this Sunday evening, there's a, the next in the reframe series. We've come to a part of the series where in our Bible overview, we're looking at the coming of Jesus and what that means. Edna's not here this week, so we can finally talk freely about all the stuff we've been whispering about for the last month. So what a great night for Edna last Saturday night 
to celebrate her, a hundred or so of us at a table quiz. That was brilliant. There's another thing we'd like to do, and that's to give her a gift as she leaves. We wanted, rather than just the church give her a gift, we wanted you to have the chance. Uh, she's been such a big part of so many of your lives. Uh, we didn't want to, to miss that opportunity for you to give. What we need you to do is give. Um, if you want to give a check or give cash to um, in an envelope, mark it, Edna, put it in the offering or bring it into the office. Next Sunday is going to be the deadline for that, okay? So I hope you've heard that. Next Sunday, try and bring us whatever you have for Edna before then or then. We'll make a presentation on the following Sunday, Sunday the 13th of November, to Edna here. Thank you. I've just heard that there are some... Um, surplus boxes that were bought for Samaritan's Purse. So if you know what Samaritan's Purse is, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't have time today. But there are spare boxes available. Caroline Smith has those. She has them today with her in the creche. If you could use a Samaritan's Purse box, go and speak to her. Brian has asked um, that members of the welcome team meet with him either this morning after the service or next Sunday. If you're here and you don't need to be anywhere else, sure, do it this morning and you'll have it done. Um, one last thing. Uh, Gwen's asked me to invite members of the committee and Kirk session to meet with her for a few moments in the minister's room after this service. Thank you. Just now I'm going to invite Justin and Lizzie uh, Livingston to come up and lead us in our prayers. Let's pray. Or maybe just Lizzie. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we bring before you our prayers for the wider world. As we have listened to the news this week, we have been reminded once more of the ongoing refugee crisis and the millions who have been displaced from their homes. We pray particularly for those who have been affected by this week's closure of the Calais jungle. We ask that you would be with the many of migrants who have had to move yet again and those who are still awaiting relocation. Bring comfort in this time of upheaval and uncertainty. We pray for the many aid organizations who are working to meet the basic needs and to alleviate distress, often with stretched resources. Support their efforts, we ask, as they face these challenges. Lord, with so many other places in this world needing your intervention, we take a few moments now to bring some of these situations before you in our individual prayers. Father, we pray for the ministry of the church, both in our own congregation and across PCI. In particular, we think of the young people currently attending PCI's Mad Weekend in Coleraine. We thank you, that the Lord, that we have young people who are keen to go to events like these. And we thank you for the thriving youth ministry in Kirkpatrick. We know that there will be teenagers from many other congregations across the country um, and so we pray that new, for new friendships and a sense of real encouragement in the faith that they share. Thank you for the great talks they've had so far from Naomi, Ricky, and Barbara on the theme, But Who Do You Say I Am? 
May these questions challenge them to think seriously about the claims of your son, Jesus. We pray that as the kids prepare to go home this afternoon, those that know you will feel equipped to be ambassadors for Christ among their friends and family. And if there are some that don't know you, that this weekend will mark a beginning in their journey of faith. Lord, there are, of course, many other ministries that each of us want to bring before you. We take a moment now to give thanks for them in our own prayers. Father, we pray too for those known to us who are ill or grieving. We think, we think especially of Johnny and Anna Young this morning. We bring you our praise and thanksgiving for Louisa's safe return from hospital on Wednesday this week. We know that concerns still remain, but we thank you for your reassurances and reassurances from the experts at Great Ormond Street who were consulted this week. We pray that you will continue to uphold both Johnny and Anna over the next weeks and months as they take Louisa to follow up appointments with neurology, neurosurgery, and pediatrics. May they all be surrounded by the security of your comfort and love as they continue to draw Louisa into the life of the family. And Lord, we know there are many others who need your care, and in our own prayers, we bring them now before you. Lord, we ask that in your mercy, you would hear our prayers. Amen. We're just going to finish our service this morning by standing together to sing Tell Out My Soul. And after all we've heard from Christoph and the amazing life that God invites us into, let's stand and sing the song to worship him. to fly the hungry fire. 
together as the kids come back in. Father, we just thank you so much that you have created us to be with you, that you have created us to live and reflect your image. And we just pray, Father, that you would just, in our ordinary, everyday lives this week, just break in and blow our minds with what you can do. Now to him who is able to do infinitely more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is work at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Have a good week, guys.